John Ziegler here, excited to announce that we have our first sponsor of the Individual One podcast. Now, as you'd probably expect, I do not do endorsements unless I actually use the product. And I just started using this one. It's Imbue CBD. If you're a golf fan like I am, and you've probably read about how CBD is all the rage with all sorts of respected people raving about the various positive physical aspects of CBD, especially among people like me who are, let's face it, starting to feel the impact of aging. Recently, I started trying multiple products from Imbue CBD, and I can already tell that, among other things, I am for sure sleeping more soundly, and my wife says she loves the Imbue CBD facial cream, although, to be honest, she doesn't need it. In case you haven't heard, CBD is the powerful extract from the hemp version of cannabis. And while it may offer many of the health benefits of marijuana, there's no high, it's legal, and doesn't require a prescription. The source I trust for CBD is Imbue CBD. This is a top-of-the-line product and classy in every way. Consequently, Imbue CBD is not inexpensive, but I got you a discount to explore all the many ways CBD might be able to help you. Go to ImbueCBD.com and get 25% off when you enter John Z. Again, enter John Z for 25% off at I-M-B-U-E-C-B-D.com. That's ImbueCBD.com, promo code John Z. This is episode number 100 of the Individual One podcast. For the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. And I am your host, John Ziegler. We are bravely broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, and distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the critically acclaimed program which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a conservative perspective because, unfortunately, no one else is willing or able to tell the real truth about him. And unlike the corporate media, we here at the Individual One Podcast have most definitely not been compromised or co-opted, although we may get shut down soon. Uh, more on that uh, shortly. Uh, welcome to the program. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share this via social media while you still can. Follow us on Twitter at Individual One Pod. That's at Individual, the number one pod. This is, as I've already mentioned, our 100th episode, which is really kind of remarkable. Correct. It has been uh, quite a ride. Uh, this is not ex where I expected us to be <laughs> at 100 episodes. Obviously, no one did. This uh, podcast was originally created uh, anticipating the impeachment of Donald Trump, which did, in fact, happen, and uh, was intending to chronicle his effort to be reelected. Obviously, uh, the world has changed over the last few weeks because of the coronavirus, and that uh, may end up having a very, very uh, serious impact on uh, this podcast. I, I don't think this is the last episode of the Individual One podcast. It, it, we could be just curtailing it in the short run. We may be going on hiatus. Uh, there's a lot of different factors some of which have to do with whether or not we're going to be shut out of our broadcast partners, which I'm sensing because of the insanity here in California, which is becoming a police state run by Nazis, virus Nazis. Uh, everything has to be uh, taken under possible consideration. At the end of the podcast, I'll, I'll further explain where I think we are headed with the podcast, but I just wanted to give you a, a heads up uh, on that. Uh, I'm hoping this is not the last episode, but it is the 100th. And we begin with a review of the most recent statistics with regard to the medical damage. And, and I, I say medical damage on purpose because I am becoming more and more convinced that one of the many, many ways that the news media is doing a disservice to this war against the virus is that the stats that they are focused on are all wrong. Uh, number one, the number one stat that should be focused on, but it is not, is hospitalizations. The focus is almost entirely on new confirmed cases and deaths. Now, those are both important. But hospitalizations, in my opinion, are even more important. One, because there's no real subjectivity there. If you're a confirmed case and you're in the hospital, we know you have coronavirus, and we know it is serious enough for you to get serious treatment. You're in the hospital. Confirmed cases oftentimes doesn't tell you very much of anything. You could have a confirmed case and hardly have any symptoms. You could be perfectly fine in less than a week, or you could be on death's doorstep. 
And even deaths doesn't necessarily tell you the full story because we don't know, all right, how old you were. Most of these people end up having underlying conditions. And there's even some subjectivity as to whether or not you actually died of the coronavirus. And so it's very, this whole thing is incredibly frustrating from a statistical standpoint, especially if you're someone like me who likes diving into the data and trying to figure out what the hell is going on. But it's not just that uh, we're not focusing on the right medical stats. We're also completely ignoring all sorts of other really important stats. Like, I would love CNN to have a chart of uh, number of suicides, number of domestic murders, uh, number of of domestic abuse cases, uh, in in addition to, obviously, all the economic damage that is going on. Uh, And then, of course, there's all the dreams that have been crushed, uh, all the proms canceled, all the graduations canceled, all the weddings canceled, all the one-time events in your life canceled. I mean, so there's all sorts of other stats here. But just to review where we are medically... Here in the United States, we are now over 320,000 confirmed cases of the coronavirus, which is by far the most in the entire world. We are now well over 9,000 deaths. I never believed we were going to get to 9,000 deaths this quickly. It is now obvious that we are going to go way beyond the standard that Donald Trump set at the beginning of all this, which was essentially the swine flu where 12,500 Americans died back in 2009, 2010. Uh, That number is going to be passed very shortly. I'm still not 100% convinced we're going to get to the 100,000 mark, which was his new uh, line of demarcation, the the new goalposts, I guess, that he set for this being a a victory in this war. Uh, But the 9,000 deaths is, is higher than I thought we would be right now, and there's a very good chance that my prediction that we would not pass Italy is also going to be very wrong uh, very shortly. Uh, there are, However, <laughs> there are still uh, other ways of looking at the United States data, uh, which I will get to in just a moment. But first, let me go through the rest of the world. Italy, which has obviously gotten a lot of focus for good reason, has over 125,000 confirmed cases and 15,000 dead. Their numbers are not going down, but they are stabilizing. Uh, uh, They clearly are on the other side of the curve, but we just don't know how long it's going to be till they get to the bottom of the other side of the curve. In the United Kingdom, there are 42,000 cases and 4,400 people, as of last check, this is of yesterday, who have died. In Canada, 14,000 confirmed cases, 235 dead. They have done very well. Uh, with regard to the death rate, as has Australia, Australia with 5,700 cases and just 34 dead as of yesterday. Two countries that have gotten a lot of attention because of their much more laissez-faire attitude towards their strategy in dealing with the virus. Mexico currently has 1,900 cases and 80 deaths, and Sweden uh, which is basically, uh, while they do have some restrictions, trying to go on with life as normal as possible, they have over uh, 6,500 cases and 400 deaths. There's going to be a lot of attention on Sweden and how they do uh, as to whether or not it is a vindication of the idea uh, that we have overreacted in the way that we have handled this or thought short-sightedly about the way that we are handling this or whether or not uh, that was a huge mistake. So keep an eye on Sweden. As far as the other way of looking at the statistics here in the United States, I have been uh, tweeting on a daily basis what I believe to be a significant uh, uh, divide in the stats. And basically, we have a tale of two countries at this point. You could argue there's a tale of three countries, but it, there's there's clearly a, a rural versus urban dichotomy in how this is at least so far impacting the United States. But there's also a huge divide, which is related to the urban-rural uh, dichotomy, and that is that there are five states that have been hit hardest by this from a per capita basis. Obviously, New York and New York City is the epicenter. Then there's New Jersey. There's New, there's New Orleans, which is Louisiana. There's Detroit, which is Michigan. And then there is Boston, which is Massachusetts. Those are the five states that have been hit hardest from a per capita standpoint. Those five states have a population of 50 million people. 
of in those 50 million people, this is as of yesterday, Saturday, April 4th, among those 50 million people, there are 186,000 confirmed cases of coronavirus. So 50 million people, 186,000. The rest of the United States has a population of 277.5 million people. That's well over five times as many people as those five states. 277.5 million people. Currently, those states and that population comprises 124,000 confirmed cases of coronavirus. That is significantly less than the five hardest hit states. So you you have an exponentially, many times exponentially, uh, greater chance of being a confirmed case of coronavirus in the five hardest hit states than you do throughout the entire rest of the country. Now, what does that mean? We don't know for sure what that means. Because the key question here, which we still don't have an answer to, is, is the rest of the country going to be New York or is New York unique? And I still tend to be in the camp that New York is going to be largely unique. And there's increasing evidence of that. Uh, By the way, according to Governor Cuomo, who I still am baffled why he is the hero in all this, considering how horribly his state has done, but the media loves him, his approval ratings are tremendous. According to his most recent briefing today on Sunday, uh, there is some signs of hope in the data. Uh, There are fewer deaths, which is an indication of what has happened in the past, and there are fewer hospitalizations on a daily basis, which is an indication of what is likely to be in the future with regard to deaths. So there's some semblance of hope in the numbers that can change quickly. We saw that with regard to Italy. They did a couple of head fakes on us uh, with their data before finally seemingly getting beyond the top of the curve. Cuomo keeps saying that New York's apex is going to hit in at least, uh, not not for another week or two at least, uh, which may not be the case. That may not be the case. But as far as New York uh, being unique, I mean, I, I do, I jokingly, you know, it's hard to joke about anything in this environment, but I do find it kind of funny that New Yorkers rightfully view New York as literally unique. There's no place like New York. You make it there, you make it anywhere. It's the greatest city in the world. And yet, they also don't want to accept the idea that, you know what? They might be very unique with regard to the virus as well. And there's some logic to substantiate the idea that they could be. I've said for many weeks, it is astonishing that so little attention has been put on the New York City subway system. And there was some data that was released just yesterday that uh, supports this idea that the antiquated subway system in New York City, uh, which is still uh, in operation, as far as I know, uh, which is astonishing to me, that the New York City subway system absolutely is a major cause of this in New York City. Because you can look at where the people are who have been most affected, and it's clear, it is clear, these are the people who are most likely to be riding the New York City subway system. Also, upstate New York has been hardly impacted at all by this. So you have New York and northern New Jersey that have been the epicenter of the whole thing. You're getting uh, Boston, which also has a very vibrant and antiquated uh, public uh, transportation system, which is being one of the hardest hit states. You got New Orleans, which had Mardi Gras. Uh, and so there are, there are logical explanations for why those five states might not be a precursor to everybody else in the United States. And I continue to go back to where I live, the uh, People's Republic of California, which is turning, clearly uh, turning almost on a daily basis into a Nazi state, uh, where uh, the numbers are incredibly low in comparison to everybody else, especially New York, on a per capita basis. California is being praised widely for having done so incredibly well. I am not convinced that we might have exactly the same problem as New York. I think there are other theories that could explain things here. We don't have enough data yet because it takes two to four weeks for people to become a statistic. 
So there's a lot of people who have a political agenda in interpreting, wow, California is doing so well because uh, we shut down earlier. Well, that's not really the case. Uh, it might have might have been by a couple of days that we shut down uh, before other places. But I've never understood, and no one has been able to explain to me, why California would be so delayed in getting this in comparison to New York. Uh, we, we have extraordinary connections to China. Uh, we have all sorts of reasons why we would be at the forefront of this. And that has not happened. Now, we keep saying here that the worst is coming. We're preparing for the worst. We're flattening the curve. All that might be very accurate. Certainly seems to me as if all we're really doing is delaying the inevitable and prolonging the suffering and the pain that's going along with that. Uh, but time will tell, and by the time that happens, of course, it's too late to do anything about it. And I'm 100% convinced, 100% convinced that everyone is invested in their own narrative. The media and, and certainly the Democrats have their narrative. Trump doesn't even know what the hell his narrative is anymore. And so the truth is not going to matter. Uh, the, the, the data is such you're going to be able to come up with whatever, almost whatever, uh, interpretation you want. And that is going to be, uh, in my view, not just frustrating, but very, very dangerous. Now, as far as Donald Trump, uh, I'm sure that uh, as a listener to this podcast, you probably noticed that since the coronavirus uh, crisis began, I have been slightly more hesitant to blame Donald Trump or to attack Donald Trump and to take what has been the universal media perspective and including the never Trump conservative uh, perspective that this is all his fault and that he should be condemned and that his presidency is over and that uh, and, and that this is a vindication of everything we've ever said to you about Donald Trump, that he should never have been elected, which I agree with, uh, that he is a con man and that we're now suffering because of this con man having won a fluke election in 2016, that he is completely unfit for office and he is doing absolutely everything wrong. The reason for this has been that I try to be an incredibly fair and objective person. It's part of what makes this podcast unique, in that I am a conservative, a lifelong Republican until Trump came along, uh, who has loathing for Donald Trump, but I also understand some of his appeal, and I try to be as fair and objective as I can in calling balls and strikes when he is right, which is rare, uh, and when he is wrong. That is, that is my view on how I do everything. I'm based on facts, not emotion. And when a crisis like this hits, I want to give people the benefit of the doubt. I hate 2020 hindsight. I hated what happened with the George W. Bush with Katrina. I told you weeks and weeks ago that this was going to be perceived as Trump's Katrina. I wasn't sure if that was going to be warranted or not. And I wanted to hold my fire. I wanted to be able to wait until all the facts were in, or at least enough of the facts, to be able to make a legitimate interpretation. Well, uh, I'm sorry, uh, the, there is no longer any reason to provide Donald Trump any benefit of the doubt. Correct. Uh, his time is up. Correct. Uh, and this is almost entirely his fault. Correct. Uh, and the reason why uh, the time is now up is that it is now very, very clear that the United States, once considered to be the, the best country in the world, I grew up believing that the United States was the best country in the world, uh, is not uh, only not handling this well, we're going to handle this worse than anybody else. We are going to be more damaged by a, a virus that started in China, at least statistically, than anybody else in the world. Now, you're still, and we're still open question as to, are we going to have the most deaths? Are we going to have the most deaths per capita? I still, I still, I'm not a hundred percent sure we're going to have the most deaths per capita, but, uh, we are now so far behind, uh, any semblance of this thing having been contained, like Trump promised that it was, we are so far beyond the idea that America is going to be able to handle this better than, than other places. Uh, one of the reasons why I was always confident we would have less deaths than Italy, uh, even though we have almost six times the population, is that I thought we had certain advantages over Italy. And I had, fa I had faith in a couple of things I should not have had faith in, uh, one of which was Trump's cockiness. 
I honestly, I hate Trump's cockiness. It's completely inappropriate and counterproductive as a president of the United States. But in this particular situation, I interpreted his cockiness as a sign that, okay, he must, must know something that we don't. He can't be this dumb. He would not put his entire presidency on the line uh, for, for something that he would be so wrong about. Well, I was naive. Correct. Uh, and, and Trump really was even worse than I thought that he was going to be, again, partially because I was trying to give him an honest benefit of the doubt, uh, and that was wrong. Uh, but I also have to say I thought America as a country would be able to overcome Trump as president, that we had certain advantages that would allow us to get through this in a way that wasn't as damaging as other places in the world. And that has just proven not to be the case at all, which I will I will get into uh, momentarily. But I want to go through a little bit more uh, of the news that has been happening um, and, and why it is that Donald Trump is to blame here. To me, the, it, he's, I get the idea of we didn't have testing soon enough, and you know he he you know supposedly cut the pandemic department and I, I, look, all that stuff. I I don't even pay that much attention to it because I don't even know what is true and what isn't, what is relevant and what isn't. But here's what I do know, and here's the part where Trump doesn't get enough blame for why we're in the spot that we are. The reason well, I believe that we're in the spot that we are is that our president uh, has a massive uh, irrational ego and, a, and an incredibly dangerous lack of credibility. And it's the lack of credibility that I believe has impacted every element of the response here. It's not just that he didn't take it seriously. He didn't take it seriously because of his ego. He didn't take it seriously because he didn't want to do anything to jeopardize his reelection. That's all part of his narcissism and his ego. But his lack of credibility is really the part of this that handicapped America in so many different ways. And the reason why he has no credibility is, one, he's a pathological liar. We know that already. Correct. But he also blew all sorts of capital, if you will, credibility capital, protecting himself uh, in a way so that he could survive politically. And it's through all these different scandals, all these different scandals, this is why uh, he had to give up his credibility. He had to lie his ass off in order to get through the Mueller investigation, for instance. I'm not going to get into that. Um, so that, that it was not the only source, but that was a huge source. Here's the analogy I would use for that. You get, uh, as President of the United States, you get a gas tank of credibility. Now, if you're a really honest person, your gas tank of credibility is is filled uh, more to the brim than if you have no credibility. So Trump, because he was already known as a pathological liar, had a low level of gas in his tank to begin with. But he burned through all of that gas in an effort to survive personally, politically, to protect himself. He burned through all that gas with the whole, uh, this is a witch hunt, this is a hoax, uh, all the other things that he has done that were only intended to fool his base in a way so that he would be politically protected. Correct. And so that, I always believed, was going to have consequences. I said constantly, my gosh, if he's reelected, how can we get through eight years without a major crisis? And this man is not only unfit to lead during a crisis because he's a pathological lying narcissist, maybe sociopath, but because uh, he has no credibility and you need credibility in a crisis. And the way that that has impacted us here is that nobody knows what to believe. Nobody knows what to believe believe me no we can't we cannot believe you and the only people that do are members of his cult i love the poorly educated and so when he shifts message on a daily if not hourly basis we have no reason to be confident that things are going to be handled correctly that we're going to get through this that it's going to be okay that creates panic 
and it, it creates fear of the worst case scenario because no one believes that this is no one other than his cult believes that we are headed on the right path this then makes us far more vulnerable to these democratic governors like here in california to go and completely overboard to prove how against trump they are and against the virus they are obliterating our civil liberties and I believe going way overkill in an effort to contain a virus in a way that, by, based upon their own projections, is really only going to delay the inevitable, based upon where they say this is going. So Trump selfishly burned up all that was left of the credibility in his gas tank, and he did it before this crisis happened. And then once the crisis occurred, if there was even fumes left in the gas tank, they were immediately gone because he, he lied numerous times about how serious this was. All of his projections were wrong. He shifted numerous times what his strategy was. I've referred to it as the now triple reverse. He has pivoted at least three or four times in significant ways. Almost Now, part of what he does here probably has some strategic element to it because he knows that if he says everything under the sun, his cult will just pick the parts that they like and ignore all the other parts. They'll just, they'll just presume, well, the other parts that he's talking about, he's being forced to say those things. He doesn't really mean that. Here's the part that he really means. That's the part that I like. And so he gets the advantage within his cult that way, but the cult is only at most 40% of the public. The, the other part of the public, uh, that you, especially in the blue states, which is being most impacted by this virus, that they don't take anything that he says seriously, and nor should they, because he has been all over the map, and it continues. Yesterday's press briefing was the, maybe the most uh, bizarre that he's had so far, but that's a difficult thing to analyze. Correct. Because they're all crazy. In fact, the day before yesterday, uh, maybe provided... The strangest moment, and that's hard to, to pick just one, but the strangest moment, the most unpresidential moment, was uh, occurred when Donald Trump was referring to the models. The models that uh, have been getting so much attention that currently indicate that the United States will suffer between 100 and 240,000 deaths in the next couple of months because of coronavirus. And he's standing next to the podium. In the clip that you're about to hear, he's standing next to the podium at first, and then eventually he goes directly behind the microphone at the podium. And he's using his hands, talking about these models, and he starts using his hands in a way that are very similar to the, the way you might describe the figure uh, of a voluptuous woman and uh, and he references the word models and clearly it's n this is not some sort of trump derangement syndrome he starts to make a joke a joke about his history of dating models uh, as in women and here's what that sounded like a couple days ago hundreds of thousands of people are going to die you know what i want to do i want to come way under the models the professionals did the models. I was never involved in a model, but at least this kind of a model. But you know what? Hundreds of thousands of people, they say, I want much less than that. I want none, but it's too late for that. But I want very few people relative to what the models are saying. Those are projections. I hope they're wrong. I hope we're going to be under those projections. Really? Wow. I mean, you're making a joke in the middle of a pandemic where thousands of people are dying about your uh, history with models. You cannot be serious. This is the president of the United States. I, I mentioned earlier that I was always uh, thought that George W. Bush had gotten a raw deal on Katrina. I still don't know what George W. Bush did that was so wrong in his response to the Hurricane Katrina. Uh, but the only thing anyone remembers from that is when he told the head of FEMA that uh, he was doing a heck of a job. Remember that? Heck of a job, Brownie? Heck of a job, Brownie, doesn't even, wouldn't even be, ref wouldn't even be bothered to be referenced. In all seriousness, if, if Trump said that, it would not even make the news. It would not even be referenced. That's how desensitized we are to this level of insanity here. 
And uh, and it's not just the inappropriateness of it. It's the fact that he's all over the map. There's no consistent logical take. Now he's back to we need to open up again. After he he, he pivoted the third time that you know hundred you know hundreds of thousands of people are going to die. Uh, and but now uh, we got to get back to work and people should be able to to celebrate Easter outside. Uh, I, I mean you you got to be consistent. And uh, as someone who is a civil libertarian and a conservative, I guess the part of this that bothers me maybe most, at least personally, about Trump is the one thing, the one thing that I really like about Trump, even though it's fake, most of the time it's fake, is I like the fact that he's willing to be politically incorrect and he appears to have, at times, big balls. Correct. I've always felt that those big balls were fake. And now he's proving that those big balls are fake because he's been totally neutered ever since his, I don't know if you want to call it his second pivot or his third pivot, but ever since he said we got to get back to work by Easter. And then obviously Dr. Fossey and Dr. Bricks told him, no, uh, we're not doing that. Uh, and he had his tail between his legs. He has been completely neutered. He is he is totally neutered on the idea of protecting civil liberties. He is, uh, which he's, since he's not a conservative, he's he, he was never going to be good on that anyway. He doesn't under, even understand uh, the Constitution. He's been praising uh, Gavin Newsom and others uh, here in, in California and elsewhere for cracking down uh, on civil liberties in an effort to try to to fight a war against this virus. And, uh, and he, there are all sorts of elements here that, that need to be defended. And we've got a Republican president who's unwilling or unable to defend them because he's got his, you know, I guess Dr. Fossey has his balls in a jar. And so gee, it, that's the part that is really uh, infuriating from the Trump standpoint is that even the, the moments when you're waiting for, okay, well, at least this is the kind of guy that's going to say, hold on a second. Are, are we not overreacting to this? This is terrible, but can we have some perspective on the numbers? And by the way, we're doing things that are insane. We're cracking down on civil liberties in a way that will not help, you know, flatten the curve or, or fight the war against the virus. And he won't do any of that. Now, occasionally he'll say something that is consistent with this, but it's not It's not in a definitive fashion. It's not done consistently. It's not done credibly. It's not done emphatically. Uh, it, it just seems to be throw everything against the wall and, and hope that something's going to stick. And then, then we have the issue of him hiring Jared Kushner, his, his son-in-law, as essentially a de facto tax, task force person on this. Jared Kushner? Jared Kushner. It's just flat-out ridiculous. A, a guy with no qualifications whatsoever, and all in the midst of the, the idea that somehow uh, Hunter Biden getting a job because of his name and family connections in, 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 with a Ukrainian firm was the biggest scandal that ever happened in the history of the world. I mean, the hypocrisy here is just hilarious and obvious, uh, but, but Jared Kushner has no qualifications to do this other than the idea that uh, he is married to uh, Donald Trump's favorite daughter. And, and so at every single level of this, every single level of this, there has been total failure. There's been total failure of government. There's been total failure of the media. There has been total failure of the citizenship uh, because I have been incredibly depressed and, and frankly frightened by the lack uh, of pushback at all. I'm not saying that we should be doing nothing. I, I, this is amazing to me that this is how I get accused of this. Uh, well, John, are you saying we should do nothing? No, 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 no. There's a rational middle between doing nothing and shutting down life to combat what still appears to be in the vast majority of this country a very bad flu. That's what this appears to be statistically. Now, it could end up being nationwide worse than that. In New York City, it is worse than that. Let's hope that that doesn't go beyond, much beyond New York City. We don't know yet, you know, what, what and I get, I, they see a large part of what's driving this is because we don't know, everyone wants to be on the side of safety. But there are other 
aspects to this story that are being totally lost. Uh, they're, they're, this equation is not simple. There are other damages, many of them medical, that go along with fighting the virus at all costs. And one of them is, I believe, I'm con- continually more and more convinced that all we're doing to the extent that it's even going to work, is elongating the suffering, both economically and medically and emotionally, mentally, the mental health of this country, not to mention the economic health of this country, which, of course, are tied together, is going to be catastrophically impacted by what has happened. And I believe this is going to get so much worse. This is going to get so much worse, and it's, and it's not the virus that I fear. It is how people are reacting to the virus. And it's I don't see how we get out of this cycle. The cycle is we're all against the virus. We must do everything we can to, to defeat the virus. And therefore, there's no pushback against any tactic, no matter how draconian, no matter how against civil liberties, no matter how nonsensical, it doesn't matter. Everyone's trying to outdo each other because we're so against the virus. And if you even say anything, oh my gosh, you should see my Twitter feed. If you say anything that even references, oh, by the way, how incredibly small the numbers are per capita in California, people go bananas on you. And, and, and as if you're somehow in favor of the virus, as if you're somehow in favor of let's go 100% back to normal. No, never have been in favor of that. I'm in favor of social distancing. I practice social distancing myself. I have no problem with large events being canceled. I have a little bit more of a problem with schools being closed and restaurants being uh, closed, but I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that under certain circumstances, especially in areas that are hard hit. I, I have uh, absolutely no problem with people being urged to stay home. I, I have no problem with people being urged to wash their hands uh, uh, and, and be very careful. I have no problem with older people being quarantined. Zero. That's what's happening with my in-laws, uh, one, one of whom we heard recently on this, on this podcast. So I, there's a middle ground of rationality somewhere here. There's a grand canyon between doing nothing and destroying our way of life permanently for what appears to be very little, if any, gain. And that has been lost. And so one of the reasons I'm so pessimistic is I'm always looking for what's the path? What's the hope? How do we get out of this? And my greatest fear is no one has the political cover to do anything dramatically to shift where we're heading because Trump doesn't have the credibility. Trump, the only people that care about Trump are in the red states and that 40, 45% that still approve of him, even though that number has gone temporarily up during the crisis. I think it'll go back down pretty quickly, especially now that the numbers are the worst in the, in the entire world and getting there in every possible metric. So, Trump does not have the power. By the way, he doesn't even have the constitutional power in a lot of ways. This is up to the states. And one of the great ironies here is the conservatives used to be in favor of state rights and liberals used to be in favor of a strong executive. And now everything's, of course, reversed because it's all political and and everybody's a fraud. Everybody's a hypocrite. But as I look at, okay, what's the path out of this? Somebody has to have both the power and the incentive and the balls. you got to have the power, the incentive, and the balls to make the first move. Because if you don't, if there's no one to make the first move, we're never going to get out of this, ever, because the virus is still going to be around. There's not going to be a vaccine until, at best, early 2021. So what is the organization, what is the entity that could draw a line in the sand and give everyone permission to start acting normal? Well, as I look at the landscape, there's only one organization, and that's the National Football League. The National Football League is the only organization in America that has the power, the incentive, and maybe, underline maybe, the balls to do something about this. In fact, I I even tweeted earlier this week that uh, the commissioner of the National Football League, Roger Goodell, might be more powerful here than Donald Trump. Because if the NFL does go ahead in August or in September, 
My, my guess is there's no way they can do preseason games with crowds. Uh, so they could do preseason games without crowds uh, in theory. But come September, if they go ahead full bore, we're open for business, we're going to have crowds, then that would provide political cover for everybody else. I've been misinterpreted on this. I've been misinterpreted on every aspect of this entire topic. But on this whole NFL thing, people seem to think that I am saying the NFL is the most important thing in the world. It's not. I'm not even that much of an NFL fan anymore. I find the game to be boring. I used to be a big NFL fan. I'm more of a college football fan now. But if the NFL decides to go, what does that mean? That would instantly give cover, for instance, for all schools to go back to school. Because if the NFL was able to put 70,000 people in a stadium, now all schools can feel at least somewhat safe going, oh, okay, well, we can go back to school. Universities, same way. Colleges, the same way. And I can guarantee if the NFL is playing football, most of college football is going to be playing football, especially in the South and in the Southwest. So, and, and if you have that, you have a sense of normalcy. You have political cover for all sorts of different businesses and entities to go ahead and restart life. But here's the real dangerous thing. If the NFL decides we can't do this, if the NFL decides we cannot do this, then Katie bar the door. It's over. It is over. Because if the NFL decides we cannot have a season, uh, whether it's – by the way, one of the reasons the NFL is unique, you cannot have an NFL season without fans. It, you just cannot do that. It is, it, it is imperative to have a studio audience more than almost any other sport. The fans are imperative to the experience. So you cannot do NFL football without – spectators so if the nfl decides you know what we can't have spectators therefore we can't do a season then we will never get back to normal because schools all across the country aren't going to go if the nfl can't go colleges aren't going to go college football won't go uh, and and there will be no political cover the nfl is the only entity that can uh in conjunction with Donald Trump, which is ironic as hell, given his history with the National Football League, could theoretically jumpstart us back into some semblance of normalcy. Well, interestingly, yesterday, Trump had a conference call with a bunch of the sports leaders, including the NFL. And Trump said that he believes that the NFL can and should start their season in August and September. That's what apparently Trump told the, the, the leaders of the sports leagues, as well as directly the commissioner of the National Football League. Now, I don't know whether or not that's going to be medically possible. I, I think it will be, but that's in a rational world. We're not living in a rational world anymore. So all bets are off. We've lost all perspective and all proportion. But that's what apparently Trump said. Well, this is why I'm so pessimistic. Because immediately after the word of that broke, guess what happened? Gavin Newsom. King Gavin here in California had to go and piss all over his buddy Donald Trump. This is a guy who Trump has praised Gavin Newsom. Newsom used to be married to Donald Trump Jr.'s fiance, and, and Newsom just couldn't wait to piss all over the idea that uh, here in California we would be allowed to play NFL football. By the way, we've got a a multi-billion dollar stadium currently being built in Los Angeles for two NFL teams that is considered to be essential work. Uh, and, and the governor essentially said yesterday, you know what, I don't think it's going to happen, and threatened to prevent it from happening. Correct. Uh, so, so here we have this red state, blue state battle that I told you was going to happen. I told you that every blue state governor uh, is, going to, uh, is going to do whatever the opposite of Trump says is. And the more Trump wants us to get back to business, the more they're going to fight it, partially because it's an election year, partially because it's good for them personally, uh, and partially it's just instinctive. And so, so I don't know how we get a path back. If the NFL can't go and, the, and, and you've got blue state governors willing and able to stand up to Trump and the NFL, and the NFL, by the way, without the blue state governors, they'll wimp out. 
These are these are rich owners. They're old white men. I've talked to you before about how old white men lose their balls. I'm not going to get into that. And so these guys are not going to be the gutsiest people around. They're they're they are not going to do everything to salvage this season. And so I, I just. I get very nervous when I don't see a path. And because of what happened yesterday with Newsom and Trump and the NFL, unless the numbers are really tremendous for an extended period of time, we're going to be in this forever for the rest of the year, maybe longer than that, depending on your definition. And maybe the, the most mind-blowing aspect of this and california is the perfect example because newsom is currently being applauded oh oh he's so great king gavin thank you for saving us from the virus by shutting us all down like a day and a half before the rest of the world did you are the greatest even though i'm convinced that there's a whole nother theory that would explain uh, why california has not yet suffered the same way as for instance new york has uh, but i don't have enough data to go into that fully but he's being praised and praised. Well, here's the thing that's really mind-blowing. So the only way I see us getting out of this and ever getting back to real life, normal life, or whatever normal life is going to be in the future, is if we have an explosion of cases in California. Because if we don't have an explosion of cases in California... Newsom's going to continue to say, well, this is working. We need to keep doing it. We need to avoid this inevitable explosion of cases. So, the, so, so we're in this, this circular argument of, of if we are actually successful in flattening the curve, we've, all we're doing is elongating the suffering and the pain when we don't even 100% sure that there's ever going to be an explosion of cases, at least not to the, to the level that would warrant this kind of reaction. And so, so there's the, everything's the opposite. We're living in Alice in Wonderland, where if, if you want to get back to normal life, we actually have to hope we have to hope for an explosion of cases in California so that Newsom will be convinced that we flatten the curve and we're on the other end. But if, if we get no explosion of cases, this is going to go on forever. I mean, that, that's how insane this is. It's just flat out ridiculous. And so, so look, I mean, I, 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 understand, I try, I really try hard to be uh, optimistic even in the most pessimistic of times. I get called a pessimist all the time, even though I think I'm a delusional optimist. Uh, but it's becoming very difficult for me to see a viable path uh, out of this uh, where this is not the worst disaster of my lifetime and, and maybe even worse than the Great Depression. Uh, this is not the America I thought I knew. This is not the America I grew up loving. Uh, America is not great anymore. Uh, Trump certainly didn't make it great again, uh, uh, but America is not great anymore. We're not the best country in the world. This is proving it on every possible level, and uh, it's all so incredibly d depressing and scary. I, I do want to make sure that I, I mention one other outrageous aspect of what Trump has done in the last couple of days, and that is to fire the intelligence community inspector general, Michael Atkinson, uh, he did this in his continuing effort to try to pretend that the entire impeachment situation was a hoax. Uh, Atkinson was the person who told Congress of the whistleblower complaint. Uh, th this, this alone, th this alone in a rational presidency would probably be uh, a scandal in and of itself and maybe even cause for another impeachment. I'm not going to get into that. Uh, but it's going to get lost. Uh, amidst all the coronavirus insanity, uh, and uh, uh, but it goes to show that Trump is willing and able to do anything he wants for his own selfish purposes, which is how we got here with regard to coronavirus. He's willing to burn up all his credibility for himself. Uh, that goes also to these frivolous, uh, personally motivated pardons. And my God, if Trump uh, is convinced he's going to lose, uh, you ain't seen nothing yet with regard to pardons. I mean, he's going to pardon everybody he thinks might be able to you know, help him out because you know, after all this, if he does lose and he's a disgraced impeached president and the Trump organization is financially ruined because of the coronavirus, he's going to need help. So he's going to be strategically picking everybody he can who might be able to help him to pardon uh, so that they'll uh, owe him something in the future. As far as that re-election is concerned, uh, I'm going to keep the number at 20% for now because we are, we are in such chaotic times and there's so much dust that is yet to settle. Uh, I am still, I 
get the idea that Trump might be totally toast and that the way this is going, there's a very good chance he gets slaughtered. But I still believe that there's a chance that uh, everything is so changed that uh, this wartime president thing, combined with Joe Biden being a very weak candidate, uh, could theoretically open a small path for him to still win. He could get crushed, but I'm, I'm not going to discount the idea he could so, still somehow uh, be reelected, although I do believe that it's a low number, so we're going to keep that at 20%. Now, as far as the, where the podcast is and where it's going, as I mentioned, this is our 100th episode. I think we'll be able to do 101st episode on Wednesday, but I have to tell you, my instincts which have been pretty good in where we're heading on the, here in California. My instincts are referencing what I just told you, and it's so counterintuitive because the numbers here are totally under control in California. My sense is that the crackdown is only going to get worse in the coming uh, days and weeks. It makes no sense. Uh, it is psychological. It is not based in reality. It is a, essentially a, a, a liberal uh, fascist fest. Uh, it's a lot like the Me Too movement uh, where we've completely lost all, all sense of rationality. Now everyone's trying to outdo each other. Uh, but I, I, am, I will not be surprised at all if at least one of our broadcast partners gets shut down. Uh, I, I am not going to be surprised at all, by the way, if <clears throat> we are going to be uh, forced to wear masks while we are outside, that we're not going to be forced to show some sort of papers to prove that we're allowed to be on the roads. I mean, I, I'm serious. I, I really believe this is where we are headed. So this is not going to be the last episode for sure. I don't, I don't think. I'm sure we would at least do one last one to wrap everything up. Uh, I don't believe this will be the last episode of the Individual One podcast. But part of the problem here also is uh, that the Global Story Network has been completely unresponsive. They've got a lot going on. They're a vast company. Uh, the Global Story Network is part of a vast company. And since the the market crash and the pandemic has hit, uh, they have been totally unresponsive. So I, I, I honestly don't know uh, what if that's just because of they're being incredibly busy or a lack of support or whatever. So that's another factor in all of this. So there's a lot of different considerations. There's a lot of unknown. Um, but I'm someone who... I like closure, <laughs> and, and uh, there's probably not going to be closure here, but I want to also at least warn you that there could be a disruption to our schedule, and it could be rather significant. I tr I, I, you can trust me that we're going to do as many episodes as we can going forward, but if uh, there, there's a lack of them, it's not because we're not trying. It's because it's beyond our control. Uh, now, So with that said, uh, please uh, stay safe. Uh, um, you know, let's try to do the best we can to get through all this in, in this country and around the world. Uh, I do appreciate your listening. And as always, I just ask uh, you to please subscribe, rate, review, and share this via social media. Follow us on Twitter at individual number one pod. That's at individual number one pod. And until next time, whenever that might be, uh, that's episode number 100 of the Individual One Podcast on the Global Story Network.